The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. This is Naked Pine. M.I.P. With Mark Thompson. Get woke. Ladies and gentlemen, our guest today is a graduate of Yale University, where she concentrated in the social, cultural, and political history of black communities in the United States. She's a strategist, organizing policy wonk, with nearly a decade of experience building momentum behind brands, causes, and candidates. She's worked in both the social and business sectors, including various strategy, marketing, and operations leadership roles at Google, Rent the Runway, the Future of Storytelling. Most recently, she founded the Equity Organization, a not-for-profit organization that works with lawmakers, public officials, and community organizers to advance just, effective, and equitable cannabis policies and related criminal justice reform. She's also worked as a writer, researcher, and curator for both academic and mass market publications, including her forthcoming history, Reefer Madness, The Roots of Drug Prohibition in America. She's a director of strategic initiative at the Last Prisoners Project. Natalie Papillon joins us now. Natalie, welcome to Make It Plain. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. It's a pleasure to uh, have you. Some of us were in Washington over the past weekend for the anniversary of the March on Washington. And simultaneously, there was a huge cannabis festival (laughs) in D.C. Might have been more people at the cannabis festival than were at the March on Washington. I don't know. But but a a lot has changed in the past few years, hasn't it, in terms of, of people being more aware of just how unbalanced and disproportionate the laws have been over time, and also more people being aware about the need to decriminalize cannabis. Correct. I think drug policy reform, and specifically cannabis policy reform, is one of the few issues in America that has pretty broad bipartisan support. Um, You know, it crosses racial lines, it crosses socioeconomic lines. I think there's a real understanding that a lot of America's drug policies, and specifically marijuana prohibition, weren't born out of a desire to sort of optimize for the public's health or safety. They were born out of a desire to control certain communities. And by certain communities, I mean Black and Brown communities. And with that realization, there's been a real push to center the need for decriminalization and legalization within the broader context of the need for pretty broad criminal justice reform. Um, Because the truth is that cannabis 
remains, you know, cannabis prohibition remains responsible for over half a million arrests every single year. It's one of the largest arrest categories in this country. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about, you know, reversing mass incarceration, when we talk about decarcerating, drug policy is a crucial part of advancing those those goals that we all know need to happen. And I think there's real appetite for it um, amongst the public and increasingly amongst lawmakers. And you all most recently have been at the last prison project have been weighing in on the legislation proposed by uh, Senator Cory Booker and others. Correct. So as part of my role, I lead our federal policy arm and Senator Booker for years has been an ardent proponent of decriminalizing cannabis and on the federal level. And he's really led the charge and galvanized a lot of his colleagues in the Senate, mostly Democrats, to be totally candid. Um, to really center the need for this policy reform within the need for restorative justice and for racial justice, because we know that Black Americans are four times as likely to be arrested for cannabis possession than their white peers. There is no difference in consumption rates. And so Senator Booker, along with Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and Senator Ron Wyden from Oregon, have recently introduced a draft of a piece of legislation that would in federal cannabis prohibition, which is really exciting. And they've also allowed advocates and experts um, like the Last Prisoner Project to weigh in on some of the different provisions before it's formally introduced to Congress. And we focus on the criminal justice elements of the cannabis policy reform movement. So that's expungement and that's resentencing, basically. And, and that's avoiding recriminalization, especially of Black and brown communities. And so we recently submitted comments sort of showing how they could actually start repairing the harms of the war on drugs by restoring the civil and civic rights of the hundreds of thousands of people, disproportionately black and brown again, who have been sort of looped into the criminal justice system because of this unjust policy. In your letter recently to the senators, you raised the concern that the restorative justice elements of the bill as drafted fall short of their intended aims. Talk to us a little bit about that and and how you think it should be improved specifically. Yes. So all three of the senators who are spearheading this have said that no one should be sort of saddled with a federal criminal record for, you know, nonviolent cannabis related activity. But when we read the law as drafted in the Cannabis Administration and Opportunity Act, unfortunately, the letter of the law doesn't really fulfill that. So we know that they use certain language like nonviolent, which is very controversial, because while we don't think that, you know, people who have used force against folks should be part of this expungement or resentencing campaign, the way the federal government defines violent is not actually how a lay person would define violence. So we need to strike that definition and create a definition of like what people and what offenses are expungible or resentenceable. Basically, offenses that were predicated on marijuana being a Schedule One drug. And that's a pretty cut and dry and legally correct way to do that. We also think we need to think about a host of other charging behaviors that federal prosecutors have used over the past few decades to ensnare people into the system. So we have constituents, for example, who were you know sentenced to dozens of months in federal prison for what's essentially a marijuana-related crime, but they were charged with money laundering. Maybe they deposited some of the you know proceeds from a sale into their bank account or RICO statute. Right now, and that's 
the majority of people with, you know, currently incarcerated in federal prison don't just have one charge for cannabis. So we need to make sure the legislation is changed. So it accounts for the fact that they're like, they're, you know, people will have stacked charges that all stem from this nonviolent cannabis related activity. Mm-hmm. So in, uh, in lightness, you said something interesting earlier about the definition of nonviolent. Mm-hmm. Well, talk to us about that. What, what do you mean by that? Do they, if they see it, it, maybe there's something we don't know about that. Yeah. So to put it simply, courts don't even agree what constitutes a crime of violence. I think for a layperson, we can pretty much say this was violent, this was not. But for example, if you have a gun in your home, you may not use it. It may be sort of legally procured. It doesn't come out over the course of some sort of drug sales. The a federal prosecutor can say that you actually used, you know, the gun was used in commission of this offense, and that is a violent crime. You're subject to sentencing enhancements. You're subject to longer time in prison. You you have fewer relief mechanisms. And an everyday person, this is where, you know, the letter of the law totally diverges from reality. If you had a gun in a safe, no one saw it. Were you really using that? And so there are many cases like that, and, and the courts can't agree on it. In fact, some definitions of crimes of violence have been struck down as unconstitutionally vague. So we need to make sure we're not relying on, on that if we want to actually um, get people out of prison and get people's records cleared. More MIP after this message. Have the senators responded to your suggestions yet? The senators have not yet responded, but I will caveat that by saying the comments were due yesterday, but we've had several productive conversations with their offices in the lead up to the release of this bill. And we've let them know that this is in and we look forward to working with them. I think all three of the offices are pretty amenable to changes. They acknowledge the fact that the criminal justice elements of this bill needed some work. And so we're actually quite pleased that they reached out to advocacy organizations with expertise in it to make sure that we don't have another debacle, like let's say the first step back, which had some legal issues to say the least. Yeah, to say the very least. Mm-hmm. So so where are we with the Cannabis Administration Opportunity Act right now? Where is it in the process? Obviously they're taking comments. And and are we is this just something else that's very positive everybody wants, but because of the, the Senate logjam or gridlock, so to speak, is this just something else that we can anticipate that only an end to the filibuster will get passed? So right now it hasn't been formally introduced. We don't have a timeline for when it will be formally introduced. Obviously, we are hoping that that is sooner rather than later, provided those amendments are made before it's introduced. Mm -hmm. I think I'll be totally candid with you. The road to federal legalization is a little tough. Now, I mentioned earlier that Americans of all political persuasions favor an end to cannabis prohibition. It's one of the most popular issues in America, actually. But unfortunately, that perspective is not does not always extend to their elected representatives. So we know that there are some Democratic senators who are a little meh on the idea of ending federal prohibition. And we know that there are most Republican senators are not particularly gung-ho on it. And the few that have proved amenable to it in the past, whether in public statements or like ancillary bills, haven't yet endorsed or spoken out about this particular legislation. So I think this is going to be something that there is a potential to getting those Republican votes and to making sure, you know, all Democrats vote for it. But it is going to be an uphill battle for sure. Yeah, yeah. But definitely a one that needs to be fought. There's also a case to be made that the current pandemic makes a, a stronger argument for decriminalization, correct? 
Can you explain a little bit more? I mean, I think there are several ways at it, but what are you thinking specifically? Well, I, I guess if I understand correctly, for those who are incarcerated, for example, for this, which you and I both know, and mostly nonviolent offenses, then they have greater exposure in this pandemic or even to COVID being locked up for something that really they shouldn't be locked up for, right? No, being locked up for something that other people are making millions of dollars doing, which is another whole element of this debate. But yes, COVID-19, the pandemic has been, it's ravaged American penal operations. We right. know that there were some um, moves by the last administration to allow more people out in federal prison on home confinement. That was a positive step. We think, of course, it could have been more expansive. Unfortunately, uh, the Biden administration thus far has sort of taken the stance that people who have been returned to their homes, have been on home confinement, will need to be returned back to prison if they still have time on their sentence. We obviously that, think that's not particularly right. Now, these are people who are proven to be not risk to the community. They've been out for you know over a year at this point and, and proven not to be sort of flight risk or risk to their community. We believe those people who are oftentimes medically compromised should be able to stay at home. So we're also working with the White House as well as other organizations to make sure that there is some legal mechanism to keep people who have been released on home confinement, some of which have you know have cannabis offenses, some who have other nonviolent offenses, making sure that they are able to stay home and ease that return back to society. Indeed. In the meantime, states, aren't they? Aren't states doing a bit better in terms of their laws? States are doing a bit better, both sort of in terms of the decarceration element, as well as making sure we're not putting too many people back into the system. I think there have been several governors, both Republican and Democrat, who have started to flex their clemency power to allow some people to be returned home or sort of get their sentences commuted. We want to see a lot more of that. We think it's a really powerful tool that most governors and definitely the presidents and, and past presidents don't use as effectively and as frequently as they should. And I think there's also a real a local groundswell of support for things like, you know, no arrest policies for certain offenses, cannabis offenses, or no prosecution policies. And we're seeing prosecutors, we're seeing other authorities really dampen the number of arrests they're making for something like marijuana, which obviously stops people being fed into the system. More MIP after this message. And Last Prison Project, you all are doing something with uh, Marshawn Lynch himself, too, aren't you? Yes. So Marshawn Lynch is one of our ambassadors. There are a lot of celebrities like Marshawn, um, public figures, who have gotten into the regulated cannabis space. And we're really grateful for people like Marshawn, who recognize that because of their relative positioning in the world, they're able to sort of be celebrated for getting into this and, and make money and talk about it and be on the cover of magazines. But with that power comes a responsibility to advocate for the tens of thousands of people who continue to remain incarcerated for doing the exact same thing, or really the exact same thing on a smaller scale, if no we're going to be really candid, candid about it. So we're really grateful for their support. I think a lot of people assume that, you know, everyone's everyone smokes weed now, everyone's grandma's, but, you know, no one can possibly be in jail for this, right? Um, Martha Stewart has a cannabis line. That's just very much not the case. And so any opportunity we have to highlight that and get people to take action is we're really grateful for. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, um, that's very, very important. So if people want to get involved in the work that the last Prisoner Project is doing, what can we have them do? I would direct them to Last Prisoner Project 
org backslash take hyphen action. There we have a list of a million different things that people can do depending on their resources and the, their time they have. One of the simplest free things someone can do is sign a lot of our petitions. Um, we have petitions for state governors. We have petitions for President Biden. I know it sounds really trite, but the reason we've been able to get so many people released is because there's been pressure on governors to release certain people. And those petitions are critically important to doing that. We also have a pen pal program. So we have over 100 folks who are currently incarcerated for cannabis who would love to sort of develop relationships with folks. And just we want people to be reassured that we're fighting for them on the outside. So we encourage you to join our pen pal program. There are very detailed instructions there. We also encourage, you know, awareness is huge. Like I mentioned earlier, a lot of people don't know this is happening. So we have materials to sort of share with your friends and family on social media, but also with your local officials and policy recommendations for what you should be advocating for, even if it's just with your city council, or if you want to go straight to the executive branch, right? And then we also, of course, if you want to tell your neighborhood dispensary to sort of get involved, that's also a really great way to sort of amplify your impact. And then just acquainting yourself with all this information. We have statistics and um, histories galore there. I think people are always really surprised to learn just how latent the racism that led to marijuana prohibition was, you know? And so I think when people familiarize themselves with that, it really breaks down this thought that, you know, people deserve to be in jail because they broke the law. Well, half of Americans have broken this law before, and I guarantee you half of Americans don't consider themselves to be criminals. So we try to interrogate what, what are, it's not just about disproportionate application of the law. It's an unjust law. It's, It's rotten at its core and everything that grows from it is rotten because of that. Yeah, I think you brought up a good point too. The cannabis being so much in the popular culture today, I think you're right. Some people assume that everything's okay and that people are, are not going to jail as frequently and people are languishing in jail as frequently. And that's just not true. So folks, we just can't, because we see it and it's talked about and it's on television and movies and it's everyone is, is even doing it more casually and even more legally. As Natalie and Last Prisoner Project are working on, working to expose, that there's still people who, need and deserve clemency. In fact, if you go to lastprisonerproject.org, that's one of the first petitions you see up there, a federal cannabis clemency, their state clemency, all of that has to be addressed. And and everybody's not out of the woods just yet. So we can't relax, even though some of us feel free and comfortable and uninhibited. There are others who are still suffering, not only in jail, but suffering under persecution. And so if we're going to do this, we've got to do it on behalf of all of us and help everyone. So we do invite people to go to lastprisonproject.org to find out uh, more. Any idea how soon the Senate legislation might be introduced? No idea how soon. We're hoping before end of year. I can say one thing, it'll happen a lot sooner if there's public pressure for it to happen. I think one of the things that's really stalled you know, more momentum on this issue because the momentum on the state level has been pretty tremendous, right? The momentum on the federal level, less so, is the fact that it, you know, people haven't been um, super explicit about this being a priority. This is in the scheme of things that need to be addressed in this country. This is relatively easy and this is very popular. And so I think if there are more people just expressing to their elected representatives that they support this, we could see this move a lot more quickly and we could start to really repair those harms sooner rather than later because it'll take it'll take a while. Right. These are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people um, who have been affected by this and. And there's a lot of work to do to rebuild their lives. And really, to me, you know, a lot of these things intersect. We know how 
popular the conversation is today about restoring voting rights for those coming home from incarceration. But folks, all this goes hand in hand. All right? mm-hmm. and I think we need to keep that in mind, right? You really can't be involved in that discussion without at the same time, we can say, okay, we want restoration of voting rights, but we also want people to be restored to the community to get those voting rights back, correct? Right, correct. The voting rights, I mean, a lot of people don't know this, but right now you can be denied access to you know, public assistance, SNAP, TAMP, federally assisted housing, just if you're presumed to have someone in the household who has smoked cannabis. You don't have to be presumed to have to be guilty of anything, whatnot. Like the collateral consequences, the way it's sort of, you know, it's woven into family court, it's woven into so many elements. And so to dismantle it, it's going to take a lot of work, but it's going to really help restore communities, especially the communities who have borne the brunt of enforcement. Folks, we invite you to go to lastprisonerproject.org, but especially go to lastprisonerproject.org slash take action so you can get involved. Natalie Papillon has been our guest. Natalie, we thank you for joining us. Let us know. First of all, keep us posted about what's going on in the Senate and with everything that's going on. And let us know uh, what we can do on this broadcast to help you mobilize around this very important issue. We support it, okay? Well, thank you very much. I'll definitely keep you updated and we'll be hopefully in the near future be able to sort of galvanize people to start calling and writing and texting, yes, yes, getting yes. elected officials to, to act. Yeah, we must. We must do that. Folks, be ready to do that. We'll, we'll, we'll await our instructions and assignment. <laughs> Meanwhile, lastprisonerproject.org, folks, check it out. Thank you, Thank Natalie. You much. Bye. All right, bye-bye. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, and wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been Made Plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.